What's up, church? Glad to be here with you this morning. Uh, the last few weeks, we have been going through the book of John. We've been studying the book of John, which we're going to be in for the next few months or so. And, um, and have, you, have you guys been enjoying it so far? Okay, all right, good, good, good. My, uh, my goal through this series is that we get to know Jesus better. And really, that's the whole reason why, why John is writing this. The, one of the unique things about the book of John is that it's written by John, who is one of Jesus' like, best friends. Okay, He was there um, for all this stuff. He's an eyewitness to all this stuff happening. Really what John's doing is he's documenting all this stuff that Jesus did and all these things that Jesus said so that the future generations would know who Jesus was. So we'll start off right where we, uh, where we'll pick up right where we left off last week. Uh, Jesus, he's in Jerusalem. Uh, he's there for a big festival called the Passover Festival. And when he's there, uh, he creates kind of a ruckus in the temple. And you could go back and listen to the messages a couple weeks ago about that. He causes this big old stir. Um, some people hate it. Some people love it. He's got the religious leaders and a lot of the powerful people that just hate what he has done and hate him being there. And you got to remember that every time Jesus is in Jerusalem, I mean, he's in danger. And what we're going to see is through the next three years, he's in Jerusalem a lot. And because uh, he's got a lot of people who does not like what he is doing. And so while he's there, uh, he's doing all these signs, he's doing all these miracles, and a bunch of people are believing in him, which the religious leaders hate. And one particular religious leader named Nicodemus shows up on his doorstep in the middle of the night, and he's got some questions. And really, he's asking the questions that... Uh, probably everybody in, in town want to know, and that's, Jesus, what are you up to? What is going on here? And so while Jesus is there, John chapter 2, verse 2, John tells us that uh, he was, while he was in Jerusalem, uh, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. So he's got all these people. He's like an instant celebrity. Everybody wants to know, you know, what Jesus, you know, everybody wants to see what he's going to do next. Everybody wants to hear what he's going to say next because he's doing things that people have never seen before and he's saying things that people have never heard anybody say before. And, and eventually, after this festival, he heads back to Galilee, which is the region from where he's from. It's his home. And that's where chapter 4 starts off. In verse 3. It says, he, meaning Jesus, he left Judea, that's where Jerusalem is, and he went again to Galilee, and he had to travel through this, this region called Samaria. Now, you got to understand a little bit of geography here. Um, Israel is really like a long, narrow country, okay, so tall. I, I, that's the way, word you would use, I guess. Um, and so it, it, it's in the same area that, or that Israel is in today, ironically. And so what you had is you had Jerusalem in the south. Uh, that's the, the main city, and that was in the region of Judea. Okay, and then up north, you have this region called Galilee. That's where the Sea of Galilee is. We're going to talk about a lot about that during this series. Uh, Jesus, he's up there a lot. And that's where Jesus' home is. That's where Nazareth, Nazareth is. But in the middle, in between these two regions, there's a region called Samaria. And so John's saying, yeah, he's going from Judea in the south. He's heading north to Galilee. And so, of course, he had to travel through Samaria. Now, there's a problem with Samaria. And the problem with Samaria is that it's full of Samaritans, okay, the people that live there. And uh, Samaritans were not well liked by the Jewish people. And kind of what happened was, long story short, is a long time ago, the Jewish people, uh, the people of Israel, they had, they had basically ditched God. Okay, this is way back in the Old Testament. They had ditched God. They were worshiping all these fake gods. And so God allowed the first major world empire, this empire called Assyria, to come in and uh, to conquer Israel, and that's exactly what they did. And when they conquered Israel, that was in 721 B.C., 
they, uh, they exported most of the Jewish people out to various places in their empire. But they did leave some Jewish people, and they, the people that they left was like the most undesirable people within their minds. It was the poorest people. It was the most uneducated people. It's the people that they didn't want, really want to spend the time, you know, moving around. So they left those people there, and they imported a bunch of foreign people from other countries that they had conquered into this land. And so these Jewish people eventually started intermarrying with these foreign people. And it wasn't just intermarrying, but, uh, but they were taking on their culture. They were mixing cultures. They were mixing religions. They were mixing gods. I mean, they were doing all kinds of stuff that God had told them not to do. And they were combining religions. And so here we got 750 years later, Jesus is going through, Jesus is, you know, doing his thing, and these descendants are these people called Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated the Jewish people. And likewise, the Jewish people hated the Samaritans. In fact, they viewed Samaritans as like half-bloods, and people like, you know, like they're half-Jewish people, but they're kind of cultish, you know, they, know, they didn't want anything to do with Samaritans, and they wouldn't even eat the food that Samaritans ate because that was considered unclean because they're dirty and they're gross and you don't want to even be around Samaritans. In fact, strict Jews, which were most Jews, they would choose not to even travel through Samaria, and so what they would do if they were going from Judea, all right, to where Jerusalem's at, all the way to Galilee, is they would go all all the way around Samaria, which would add, you know, miles and miles and miles. It would add three days of traveling uh, to the trip. And so a lot of Jews just did that. And to them, totally worth the three days. Right? They didn't have to get, like, infected by the Samaritan air and stuff like that. And so um, there's some serious hate going on here. But Jesus and his disciples, they have no problem walking through Samaria to get to where they're going. And so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now, for most of you out there, I hope this sounds somewhat familiar, at least these names, because we just spent like two months, seven weeks in October and November going through the story of Joseph, right? Okay, all right. For a second there, I was really worried. Um, So we've just talked about Joseph, and long story short, with Joseph, you know, Joseph, just a quick recap, he, he, at 17 years old, he's sold as a slave. He's going to, he gets um, kidnapped to Egypt. And while he's in Egypt, he kind of makes his way through the ranks. He ends up becoming, he goes from slave to the second most powerful man in Egypt. It's a total God thing. And he ends up saving that area of the world from this huge um, famine that's in the land for seven years. And even more than that, he gets to reunite with his family and he saves his family. And his dad, Jacob, actually moves, if you remember, he moves to Egypt to be with his son Joseph, and quite frankly, that's where all the food is. And so um, he goes there, and on Jacob's deathbed, what we see in the Old Testament is that Jacob actually gives Joseph some land uh, that Jacob owned back in their original home, and uh, this land, what we're going to find out, had a well on it. And so this land, uh, Joseph, there's a good chance he never even seen this land. Um, he probably never goes there because he lives in Egypt, but this land, the, his, his descendants knew as uh, this land belongs to Joseph. And so about 2,000 years later, Jesus is at this very site, this property that Jacob, dad, gave to his son, Joseph, right, 2,000 years before. And so they get there, and uh, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was worn out from his journey. Now, for all of us, um, we have this picture of Jesus that's, I don't know, we've talked about this a little bit, that's not exactly accurate, okay? 
But here, John, what he does here is he gives us a picture who, by the way, is there for all this. That's not how we view Jesus at all. See, we all have this picture in our minds and this image in our minds of what Jesus may have looked like or what Jesus was like and the things that Jesus would say and how he would talk to people. Um, Even this week, I went and I just Googled Jesus, okay? And this is what I came up with, okay? First picture, all right? We've seen that picture before. Okay, pretty accurate. No, probably not, okay? First of all, Jesus wasn't white, okay? Sorry to burst your bubble there. Um, And he didn't have, like, a glow to him, and he, you know, he's, like, looking up off in the distance. Here's another picture that I, that uh, was on Google, okay? Um, I don't know why Jesus is always doing this, like, peace sign. He's got his Bible with him, but the Bible wasn't written yet, but that's okay. Um, We got, uh, you know, what's next? He's got this, okay? This, This is, like, the girliest picture of Jesus, I think, I've ever, or the most feminine picture. He's got the lipstick on. Everything is perfect. He just did his curls that morning. Super nice. And he's got this, like, jewels all around him. Although the cross is on fire. I don't know what that's all about. Um, but, okay, so there's that. And then you got uh, the, what, what, okay, you got Jesus. He's got his, like, staff thing. Um, and he's got his bowling ball. Okay, I don't know what that is. Or maybe that's the earth. Although there's no land, so maybe global warming happened. I don't know what happened, okay? So he's got that thing going on. And, uh, but this is, how, like, this is how our culture, for some reason, I don't know why it's like this. This is how our culture views Jesus. And uh, this, was not how, this is not the picture that John gives us of Jesus at all. Here, Jesus is like, or here John's like, he's like, dude, you should have seen him, okay? Jesus, this guy, he was exhausted. All right, Jesus was worn out. By the way, did you notice that through any of those pictures, um, None of them, Jesus didn't look exhausted in any of them. Notice, he looked very well rested, okay, in every single one. Um, he, it, it's just different. And so John's like, no, he was worn out. We'll go back to the verse. He says, worn out, All right? Jesus is tired. He is sweaty. He is dirty, and he is hungry. At this point, they had probably been walking for about six hours. I mean, this is like your full day at Cedar Point type tired, okay? And they've been walking, and they're tired. And, uh, and the thing we got to remember about Jesus is that he was fully God. And I think most of us in here, like, we totally get that. We're like, yeah, I got it. Like, I already believe in that. I believe in Jesus. Like, Jesus is God, and I'm all about that. But the other thing we got to remember is that Jesus was also fully man. And for a lot of us Christians... That's the part that we kind of like hesitate. We're like, oh, my Jesus wasn't dirty. Mm-mm, no way. My Jesus, he never got tired. He was never, he never sweat, you know, anything like that. Like, it, that's, that's not accurate. He was fully God, but he was also fully man. He had gone through some of the physical things that we all have had to go through. He's worn out here. By the way, that's what makes God leaving his throne room where he has angels uh, worshiping him 24-7, day and night, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is, is to come, all right, constantly over and over and over again. That's what makes him leaving that place and coming down in the form of a man so astonishing. He went through the same stuff that we had to go through, and it was about noon. And we're going to find out that's super significant. All right. It says, a woman of Samaria, now, Here's something we also have to understand. Um, this woman comes, and uh, the original audience, when they're reading this, when John's writing this, when they're reading this, they're going, a woman, they're going, huh, from Samaria, and they're going, ew, okay, came to draw water, 
And so Jesus is sitting there at the well. If you could picture this, he's got this woman. She comes up kind of out of, out of nowhere. It's, it's noon, all right? So it's in the middle of the day. And this was extremely uncommon, okay? Quite frankly, this was weird. And uh, we're, we don't quite understand all this because we're used to water on demand, okay? So if we're thirsty, we go to the sink, we turn on the tap water, we fill our drink. Okay, we're good. Uh, or some of you guys, you got it, you're fancy and you got the like, you know, filters and you have it going through all that stuff and you live in Tiffin, so you have to, I guess. I don't know, you know, all that stuff. But, uh, but back then, they didn't have that, okay? They didn't have the sink, okay? They didn't have water in their house that was just flowing pretty nice. We got it. All right, they had a well. And the well wasn't like in their house and the well wasn't even in their backyard. The well, at this, this particular town, it's not even in the town, okay? It's outside of town. In fact, it's about a half mile outside of town. And so what they did, and this was a culture thing, okay? So early in the morning, when it wasn't hot yet, the women from town would go and get the water. That's what they did. Again, this is part of their culture. And so usually they'd be all doing this at the same time. And so they'd all go as a group and they'd, you know, it's like a, it's a time that they could catch up on the news and get the local gossip and, and talk to each other and kind of hang out with each other. It's actually probably not that bad, like a pretty good deal. And so this particular woman though, she's not with that group. She's going in the middle of the day when nobody else would be there. And she's going Alone, And so most likely, and what the original readers would have totally understood this, and this is what John's trying to, un, trying to convey to us, is that this lady is a complete out, outcast, right? People did not want to be around this lady. We don't know what that is for sure, but we're going to find out in just a second. And so, you know, this lady, I'm sure she had gone in the morning with all the other girls, and, and they all go there, and, and the other girls are mean to her. It's like mean girls all over again, and, and no one wanted to be associated with her. And this lady, she's, no one wanted to talk to her. No one wanted to be to her friend. No one wanted to walk with her. And so this lady's at the bottom of the food chain, which, by the way, makes this story that we're going to be looking at today so shocking. No one wants to be with her. And so she, and she, I'm sure, doesn't want to be with anybody else either. And so she waits, and she goes alone. She's rejected by her peers. Now, we all know how it is to be rejected, right? Okay, and some of you guys, you got to think long back, okay, because you haven't been rejected by, for a while, and I'm not saying that's, that, and I'm not, that's not even actually a good thing, okay? You know why we haven't been rejected for a while? It's because we don't reach out and we don't risk anything, which isn't good, okay? And so some of you guys, you got to think back to like, you know, elementary school days on the playground when it was like rough, you know what I'm talking about? You can re- yeah, it's just how kids are. Um, the, uh, and so a, a few weeks ago, this is kind of weird, I'm sitting at the stoplight, and, uh, you know, you pull up to a stoplight, it's red. And sometimes you know how it is where you got to do, like, the look around. You know what I'm talking about, right? You just hope you don't make eye contact with anybody. And so I'm doing that, you know, and I'm looking around. And I look over at the car next to me. Don't know why. And she's doing the look around, too. Okay, so it's not just me. And I'm not the only weird one. And we make the awkward eye contact. You ever done that? And you're just like, eh, you know. And if it was a dude, it's so much easier. You just go, you just go like, you know, that's it. That's all you got to do. You guys are both good, right? He's good, you're good, there's no awkwardness. But with a, with a lady, you know, it, like, I look at her, I, you don't just give her the man, you know, what's up type thing. It's like, I kind of smiled, half smile, and I'm like, hey, you know, sorry, you know. And she, like, glares at me, and you know what she did? She pulled up. That bothered me. <laughs> and what we do when we get rejected is we automatically get defensive, okay? And so I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, how dare she pull up on me? I should be pulling up on her. I caught her looking at me. You know what I'm talking about? 
That's what we do when we get rejected. That's kind of the same situation that's going on here. And I got her license plate, and I'm going to track. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's kind of what's going on here. This lady, she, I mean, picture this in your mind. Picture this scenario. There's a well out in the middle of nowhere. Okay, they're half a mile probably from the nearest person. Jesus is sitting there, this random Jewish guy just sitting there next to the well. He's got nothing to get the water with. Um, And so this lady, she comes, and her whole point of going at this particular time is so she doesn't have to talk to anybody or see anybody. And she goes, and her and Jesus, I'm sure, make that awkward eye contact because Jesus is not afraid of confrontation. We all know that. And so she goes, and she probably turns around, and she looks the other way, and she starts doing her thing. If she was in the car next to Jesus, she would be pulling up, okay? That's this lady. She doesn't want to talk to her. She doesn't want to, you know, talk to him. She doesn't want to be with him. She just wants to be by herself. And you know what Jesus does? He looks at her, And he says, could you give me a drink? He does this because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. And so he asks her for a drink. Now, what Jesus does here is culturally inappropriate. Okay, you did not do this. And this this is unheard of, all right? Uh, Jewish people, they wouldn't even share the same dishes as Samaritans because Samaritans are gross, okay, to them. And so here he is. He's asking for a drink out of her jar. And more importantly, or more astonishing than that, the the Jewish people and Samaritans, they did not talk to each other in public. Here he is. He's talking to her. Not only that... It's even more. Uh, men and women did not talk to each other in public. Even if there was both Jews or both Samaritans, they didn't talk to each other in public. Because um, in that culture, this would even potentially have been considered a divorceable offense. A single man talking to a married woman at the well. Now, if you think about it, in the Bible, there's a lot of people who met their, like, Husbands and wives at the well. You think about it, okay? Like, especially in the Old Testament. I mean, Isaac, he, his wife was found at the well. Jacob met his wife at the well. Moses met his wife at the well. I mean, all these people met at the well. The well was like the gathering place. The well was like this place where everybody had to go to from town. Everybody's going to the same place. And, uh, and that's, that's a good place. I mean, for some of you guys in the 80s, it was, you know, this is like the mall for you. Or, you know, now it's like, I don't know, Christian farmers.only.com, whatever it is, okay? That's what this place is. Like, you... You meet people at the well. Some of you guys are like, where is that well? You know, I need that well. Um, It's still there, but whatever. Okay. Um, And so that's what's going on here. You got, they're they're even talking at the well. So it's even more like um, just just crazy to this culture. Here you have a Jewish rabbi talking to a Samaritan woman asking for a drink from her jar at the well. It's crazy. See, Jesus did not mind breaking down religion or tradition to get his people, right? He did not mind that. He crossed gender barriers. He crossed ethnic barriers. He crossed cultural boundaries. He crossed moral boundaries. He crossed religious boundaries. He crossed all these boundaries. And so that's why this woman, as we can expect, super surprised. She's just like, huh? You're talking to me? She even gets a little defensive because that's what we do sometimes, you know, when we're used to being rejected. And so she straight up, Ask Jesus. She's like, <laughs> what? She's like, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? I mean, here she even knows. She's like, I, I got two strikes against me. I'm a Samaritan and I'm a woman, she asked him. For Jews, by the way, if you didn't get the memo, um, dude, uh, Jews do not associate with Samaritans. You don't like me. I don't like you. Let's just keep it the way it is. 
and uh, let, let's, let's move on, okay? We don't have to talk to each other. And Jesus, he answers her. He says, hey, if you knew the gift of God, like if you knew who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would actually ask him or me, and I would give you living water. Now, if you're sitting here, and you're hearing this, and you're like, okay, here he goes again. Like, this is what he does. Like, he, what, what is he talking about? This is so confusing. Like, Jesus, what, why, why does he say stuff like, th- like this? And this lady, she's standing there. She's like, what? Living water? Okay, what's that? Huh? What's going on? And so she replies. She's like, this guy is kind of crazy. She replies. She says, sir, <laughs> I'm looking at what you got. You don't even have a bucket. How are you going to give me water? And this well is deep. It was deep. Again, it's still there today. It's 100 feet deep. Okay, so that's a pretty deep well. And so she's like, so where do you get this living water? All right, what are you talking about? What is this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well. And he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his, and, and his animals. Jesus said, he's like, here's the deal. Everyone who drinks from this water, you're going to get thirsty again, which by the way, she knew all too well because this lady has probably been going to the same exact well her entire life where she has to go back again and again and again and again. It says, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water that I give him will become a well of water springing up in him for, or for eternal life. And so here's Jesus. All right, he's talking to this lady. Again, this is so confusing. And maybe at this point, this lady's trying to, she's starting to get it where she's like, okay, I don't know what we're talking about. I thought we were talking about water at first, but I have a feeling we're not talking about water anymore. Like, I don't know what this guy is talking about, but, uh, but what Jesus is trying to explain to her, what he is explaining to her, uh, is that this isn't what life's about. Like coming here, getting this water, you know, just temporary, temporarily being satisfied. That's not what life's about. Like there's only one thing that would truly satisfy you. And this is what he's saying. And that's the relationship with Jesus. He's like, if you knew who you were talking about, who you were talking to, man, it would be a completely different conversation. And I think a lot of us, we totally understand and we totally know that, yeah, I get it. I agree with it. Like a relationship with Jesus, I know. Like that's, that's the thing that will satisfy. Like that's the only thing that will satisfy. But here's the deal. None of us, none of us live like we fully believe it. Don't even act like you do because you don't. That's why we run after everything that the world offers. Okay, we all do this to a certain extent. And we run after all sorts of different things. See, for all of us, um, we think like if I can only have blank, fill in the blank. If I can only have that job, if I can only have that promotion, if I can only have that girl, if I can only have that guy, if I can only have that relationship back, if I can only have financial freedom, if I can only have respect, maybe it's respect at home, maybe it's respect in the workplace, maybe it's respect among friends, All right, if I can only have a good marriage, if I can only land this position, if I can only get that degree, if I can only have that house, that dream house, or if I can only drive that car, if I can only um, attain that ideal weight, then... I know I will be happy. Then I know I will be satisfied. But then you know what we do? We achieve some of those things. Not all of them because a lot of our goals are like way higher, which I'm not saying goals are bad by any means. But we achieve some of those things and we get the thing that we want, that thing that we desire, and it might even be good for a while, though I think a lot of times it's not. And what ends up happening? We're not satisfied. 
And we think to ourselves, okay, well, I got this idea. Um, I need to take the next step. Like, okay, so, so I worked, 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 worked. I got to this thing. Uh, that's, not sat- that's not satisfying me. That doesn't make me as happy as I thought it would. So I'm going to go over here and do this thing, and I'm going to grab this thing too, and I'm going to work and make this thing happen, and then I'll be satisfied. Like, we do this thing. We, it happens to all of us. You know why? Because we are so dumb. Like, we all are. It's just this endless cycle over and over and over and over again. And so we go back to the chasing the stuff that doesn't last. It's all just stuff, thinking that the thing, changing that thing, will fix it. Why do we do that? Why do we always go back to the temporary stuff of this world? When God has designed us for eternity. Like, God has designed us to do stuff that lasts. Temporary stuff will not satisfy you, okay? It might make you happy for a week or a month or a few. Like, like even that's temporarily, right? Temporary. It, it just it doesn't satisfy only the things done for eternity will. And guess what? We as Christians, we have a lot of things that God has called us to do, okay? Like we have important stuff that we can do that will last for eternity. See, we think doing life our way will somehow fix our problems, at least satisfy us for a little while. And so we have that affair and we go back to that porn addiction and we file for divorce and we, we go to that eating disorder and we feed that depression and we have that addiction and we go back to alcohol and we do all this stuff and it makes our problems worse every time. By the way, that's what sin does. Like, we got to understand that. Sin, we go back to sin, we try to do life on our own. It only makes things worse. And we never find the satisfaction that we're looking for. And it's sad and it's dumb. And we all do it to a certain extent. It leaves us wanting more and more and more every time. That's what Jesus is pointing to here. And this lady has no clue about what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is so patient with her. She's just like, what are you talking about, man? Who are you? Why are you talking to me? And she's probably thinking, like, see, this is why I come at noon. I'm going to have to pick a different time because this dude, you know, this is why I come alone. So I don't have to talk to anybody. I don't have to go through any of this. And so she says, okay, okay, uh, sir. She says, "Um, give me this water. Okay, I'll play your game. Give me this water so I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water anymore. If that's what it takes, or if I don't have to come back here anymore, if I don't have to talk to people like you, that sounds pretty good. I'll play your game. Give me this water. And so what she's doing here is she's completely missing it. And Jesus, he's like, no problem. He says, why don't you go call your husband, he told her. And, uh, and, and why don't you come back here? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you both. And what she does here, it's so funny to me, she tries to juke Jesus. By the way, you don't juke Jesus, all right? He gets you every time. And so what she says is she says, I don't have a husband. <laughs> all right, next question. And he says, uh, yeah, you don't have a husband. You have correctly said I don't have a husband. He says, for you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. At this place, if, if I was talking to a bunch of high schoolers, which I used to do, they'd all go, oh, you know, because Jesus just laid down the, bomb, the hammer on her. I mean, he, he does. Things at this point in this conversation just got really awkward, right? Really awkward. See, Jesus knows her issues because he's God, right? By the way, he knows your issues too. And he knows the thing in her life that she keeps running to. In her specific case, and this probably isn't the only thing, but this is probably the main thing, it's relationships and men. She keeps running to, and, and he knows that. And so he calls that out in her life. And again, he knows your things too. And he's not surprised, like, like, whatever you've done, like, you're not surprising him with your sin, right? 
You don't surprise him with your sin, all right? He knew what he was buying when he went to the cross, and he knew what sin you were going to commit. He knew what sin you were going to do, and he bought all of it. He's not asking for a better version of you. He just wants you. Okay, here he doesn't say, hey, this is what I need you to do before I tell you, you know, what I'm about to tell you. I need you to go. I need you to fix your life. I need you to, to move out of that guy's house. I need you to, to go back to your husband. You know, I, she, he doesn't say any of that to her. What he, he, like, like, he doesn't say that to us. He wants all of us. He wants all of our stupidity. He wants all of our mistakes, and he wants all of our problems. And so here, things just get really, really awkward, and she does what many of us have done in an awkward situation. She changes the subject. She says, sir, um, I see that you're a prophet. No duh, you know. It says, our ancestors, she, she, and then she like diverts. She says, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews, you guys say that the place to worship is actually in Jerusalem. And so it, 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 Jesus, he, he kind of cuts her off probably, and he, he says, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem at all. He says, you Samaritans, you guys worship what you do not know. But we worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. Now, what he does here is, is interesting to me. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat the truth. All right? Jesus doesn't, um, he doesn't dodge the truth. He's not like, oh, man, I hope I don't offend her. What he's basically saying is, yeah, you're right. Um, we do disagree on this. Uh, he's, by the way, so many of us, that's what we're worried about when we're talking to people, especially about God and stuff like that. Like, we don't want to offend them. Like, we're so scared of that. Jesus is not at all. This is a great example of how we should be. Jesus, he does not sugarcoat the truth again. And he's not, he doesn't, it's not like, I hope I don't offend her. He tells it to her straight. And he's just, and he says to her, he's like, hey, yeah, you guys aren't doing it right. What you guys believe and how you guys have mixed all these different religions, you know, he's like, that ain't right. You're right. Salvation is from the Jews. We know, you know, what's going on. We know what, what God's trying to tell us. Next verse. He says, but an hour is coming and is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. And basically what Jesus is saying is, is what we got to understand is that up until this point, there, the way you worship God was in the temple, which was located in Jerusalem, where Jesus had just come from, right? That's where he was coming from. And he's like, I'm here to do away with all that. I'm here to take care of that. It's not going to matter. Once I die, is what we know, is that it's not going to matter where we worship. That's why we're here in Tiffin, you know, 2,000 years later. That's why we can worship here. And so she says... She's like, I know that the Messiah is coming. Like, we know that. Us Samaritans, even we believe in that, who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he's going to explain everything to us. Basically, I don't understand what you're saying. I don't get what your deal is. You know, it's all kind of weird. But the Messiah, when he comes, he's going to explain it all to us. And he says, you know what? I, the one speaking to you, I'm he. In which case, there's probably a very long, awkward silence out of all the people that Jesus has dealt with, even his disciples, we don't have recorded that he has told any of them exactly who he was. They've all had questions. They've all been like, maybe he is the Messiah. I don't know. Maybe he is this, this person that the Jewish people have been waiting for for generation after generation after generation that God had promised to them way back in the Old Testament, saying, I'm going to send someone who's going to be a savior, and he's going to take care of your sin problem, and, and really the sin problem of the world. And so Jesus is like, I'm the guy. And this woman, after this long you know, pause, is probably just like, seriously? You're the guy? 
right? And she probably has a million questions. And about this moment, the disciples get back because that's what they do. They ruin everything. And so they get back. It says, just when the disciples arrived, and they were amazed. They can't even believe it. They're like, what is he doing? He is talking with a woman, right? Culturally, you, Jesus, you can't do that. They don't, they don't say that. They say, no one says, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? What, what's going on here, Jesus? Do you know the rules? No one asks them that. He says, then the woman left her water jar, and she went into town, and she told the people. She says, come and see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Could this guy be the Messiah? Like, could this be the one? He says, they left the town, and they made their way to him. And while that's all happening, while the woman is gone, Jesus uses this time as an opportunity to teach his disciples something. And I want to use this second just to, just to teach us something as well. Those of us who are Christians, this is what he says. He says, listen to what I'm telling you. All right, so this is what I want to do, okay? I want you to picture Jesus telling you here this, mo this morning what he's about to say. And really, he's talking to Christians, okay? Um, so he's talking to his disciples, people that he, he knows he already has on his team. And so he's like this. So picture Jesus telling you this morning, because we all need to hear this. We all need to be reminded of this constantly. He says, open your eyes. Look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. Now, they're standing probably in a field. All right, they're standing at the well, sure, but there's fields all around them. And there's also probably a group of people, maybe a crowd of people coming from town down the, down the path or down the road or whatever. And Jesus is like, look around. And he's not talking about the fields. He's not talking about, like, grain or anything like that. He's talking about the people. He's saying, look around, all right, there's, there's, there's so much to do. And the disciples, like, they're on to Jesus at this point. Okay, they've been with Jesus probably for, for a few weeks, and they're like, we're not talking about grain, are we? And he's like, nope. Uh, just this past week, I was at Madison Street um, for dinner. I, I, I was with a buddy of mine who was actually one of my, my ex-students. And so we're there, and we're having, um, we're having food, and we're getting, like, caught up. And he's asking me about the church. And I'm, like, excited. I'm, like, dude. All right, the church is doing great. All right, it's going better than I could have ever imagined. We're getting ready to add on, which I'll tell you guys more about that. I need to update you guys on that soon. And, um, and, you know, we're doing all this stuff, and a bunch of people are giving their lives to Jesus. And I'm like, just this past weekend, you know, we had kids at Kalahari give their lives to Jesus. We gave, you know, we brought a ton of kids. Just all this stuff is happening, and I'm all excited about it. And he's just like, oh, that's great, it's great, it's great. And I'm like, like, think about it. And I'm talking to him. I'm like, and we're at Madison Street, and the place is packed out, okay, like it always is. You know what I'm talking about? There's like people waiting. There's just, every seat is taken. And I'm like, look around at all these people. And we're like looking around. I'm like, probably, like I don't know their hearts, of course. I don't, I don't know any of these people. I'm like, there's a good chance that most of these people are going to hell. Maybe all of them. I don't know. You know, and I'm just like, I'm just like, dude. Like, there's so much to do. Like, there's so much work. There's so many people to tell. There's so many people to help. And I don't think about that all the time. I wish I did. I really should. But here, Jesus, what we see is this is how Jesus looked at people every day. He looked at them as a mission. He looked at them as, hey, this person is on their way to hell. We can do something. Like, I can do something to, to change their mind or to help them find Jesus, to give them hope. That's what we can do to everybody, not just the good and the religious people, not just the people, you know, who, who in our minds are like, oh, man, this is just a really good dude, all right? It's not, also, not just the outcasts. I mean, think about it last week, right? Like last week, we talked about a conversation that Jesus had with this guy named Nicodemus, and these two people, now he's having this conversation with this lady maybe the very next day. Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman, these are like complete opposite 
people as, you know, as complete opposite as you could possibly get. Nicodemus comes at night. This woman comes, he has this conversation in the day. Nicodemus is a man. She is a woman. And Nicodemus is educated. She is very uneducated. All right, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a teacher. He's a religious leader, and he's very religious, and this woman is far from religion. Okay, Nicodemus, he was an influential leader with power. This lady has nothing. She is a nobody from nowhere. All right, Nicodemus, he, he tries his hardest to do whatever he can to be good. This lady gave up on being good a long time ago. The complete opposites. Yet here's the thing. Jesus viewed them both as equally needing him. He didn't wait for them to prove themselves. He didn't wait for either of them to fix their mistakes. See, that's what we do. Too many of us, what we do is we go, you know what, I'm going to go to church or I'll get right with God once I fix myself. Once I have a couple good weeks where I'm not struggling anymore, that's what we think. But here's the deal. That's the slavery that God freed you from. It's not about you fixing yourself. See, true Christianity is about you bringing your junk, your mess, your sin, your problems to him and realizing that you can't do it on your own. Realizing that you aren't good enough, but he is, and that's why he came to pay for everything that you've ever done wrong. I mean, there's another way. He wouldn't have come. He wouldn't have needed to come. See, that's what we call the good news. That's what Jesus is pointing out to his disciples here. He's saying, hey, guess what? Look around. These people are ready. They're ready to hear it. They're ready to receive it. They're ready to make that decision. They don't even know it yet, but they are ready. And then John tells us in the next verse, he says, now many Samaritans, many of them, again, these people are rejected by the Jewish people from that town, believed in them because of what the woman had said when she testified, saying, hey, he told me everything I ever did. And it's been, it was a lot. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he did. He stays with them for two more days. It says, because of that, many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, he says, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this really is the Savior of the world. And that's exactly who he was. That's exactly who he is. He gave us the opportunity to be saved from ourselves, to take away so much. I mean, I mean, I mean that's, that's why he came. And what we can do now is we could take, there's just so much to take away from this conversation. Right, so much that we can learn or be reminded about. Number one, anybody can give and surrender their lives over to Jesus. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter. Right, you can be set free from that. But number two, for those of us who are Christians, we've already made that decision. It's a great reminder for us that God's telling us people are ready. That means the people in your workplace are ready to hear. People on your team, they're ready to hear. People at your school, they're ready to hear. People in your family, they are ready to hear. I mean, and, and they might not even know it, and they might not even look like, like, we look at them, we're like, dude, this person's so far from God. Like, there is no hope. We don't know what's inside. God does, and he's telling us as Christians, he's telling us as his workers, saying, hey, you don't understand. I know. They're ready. Something we need to remember, especially as we start our week tomorrow, our work week. Man, we as Christians, we're supposed to be helping people. We're supposed to be out there helping people find decision or making a decision on Jesus. It's the most important decision anybody could ever make in their entire life because it has eternity in the balance. It's not a temporary satisfaction thing. 
is for eternity, which makes it a big deal. Jesus thought it was a big deal. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these words. We thank you, Lord, for, um, for, God, for John telling us about this conversation. God, we ask that we as Christians in here that we would remember and it, help it to bother us that we don't know where people are going when they die. Help, them, help it to bother us that we don't know where people are going for eternity, forever. Like, it's a, it's a big deal. God, it, it clearly bothered you. And God, we ask that, uh, that you would help us to see that. And we ask that you would help us to be bold, not worried about if we're going to offend anybody or what they might think or if they think we're weird. We don't know what to say. God, we ask that you would help us to just do what you've called us to do. Lord, we thank you for everything you've given us. Thank you for this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's stand and sing to